We are back with more of Lake Effect on 89.7 WUWM. I'm Bonnie North. It's time now for our monthly segment on entrepreneurship. Hi, I'm Kathleen Gallagher. Kathleen is the executive director of the Milwaukee Institute, and I'm Tim Keene. Tim is founder and director of Golden Angel Investors, and this is How Did You Do That?, a show about successful entrepreneurs and how and why they succeeded. My husband and I moved dual career to France. We didn't speak French. We'd never been in the medical business, and I was six months pregnant with our first child. So when I do write that book, it's going to say this was probably too much change. Um, It's the closest I've probably come to failing. And at the same time, it was exhilarating. After graduating from the University of California, Davis, with an economics degree, Laura King got a job on the corporate audit staff at General Electric. She rose quickly through the ranks and after a series of high-level jobs was promoted to run GE Healthcare's $1.2 billion interventional cardiology and surgery business. And she became an officer of the corporation. It was there at the top that Laura began to question whether there was a better way to satisfy her passion for clinical innovation. She started thinking she might prefer running a mid-sized private equity-backed company. The startup world, however, intervened. A Madison venture firm hired Laura to analyze a young company called New Wave Medical, which turned out to have a great technology, but no revenue. Laura became New Wave's founding CEO and grew it from nothing through a successful sale to Ethicon, a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson. Hey, Laura, welcome to How Did You Do That? Thanks, Tim and Kathleen. Glad to be here. So, Laura, you you grew up in a family of strong women. Uh, Tell us about that and how it influenced you. Heritage is so important to how we view the world. I had a grandmother who was born in 1907 who has not only a college degree but a master's degree as well. Uh, My own mother grew up in the 40s and 50s, and she chose between secretary and teacher. She chose teacher. But then in her 50s, she started her own company, grew it, sold it to a Canadian multinational So I have some entrepreneurial roots, and I have very strong roots around women and accomplishments. So what I'm very thankful for is that we've progressed. Um, You know, people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg really changed labor law in the 70s that enabled people like me to run a $1.2 billion business in GE and to be an entrepreneurial CEO. And yet, even as a medical device CEO, I do a lot of fundraising, and I do it through the venture capital community. And even as we sit today... Less than 10% of venture capital dollars go to women-led companies. So it does mean that while I have a very strong heritage, I also have a responsibility to not only mentor women to be good at that, but also to make sure that any kind of equality is really moved forward every day. So upon graduation from college, you had job offers both from Kidder Peabody and General Electric. Tell us why you picked GE. So at the time, Kidder Peabody was only an investment bank, and Investment makers are pretty solo. They they make money on other people's money. And on the other hand, GE had a lot of amazing products and services and was much more team-based. And I think it's at that point that I really understood my motivations were around team and around creating something that was going to have a broader impact. Who offered you more money? <laughs> so Kidder did offer me more money uh, at the time. But I would always urge everyone, do what you love because you're going to be really, really good at that. Well, so you went to GE. You had eight different jobs there. Um, You were manager of finance at GE Motors, 
I, you were 27. That's impressive to me. Uh, you ran interventional cardiology in your early 40s. It's interesting to me. Often you didn't have a background in the technical aspects of the business you were running. Uh, how did you run those businesses without the deep knowledge that your, some of your staff had? A great question, Kathleen. I think when you come in and you first start your career, it's really important that you bring some core skill. It could be supply chain, engineering, might happen to be finance and economics. And I spent a good eight to 10 years in my deep core competency where I really understood financials, economics. And then when you become a, a general manager, a CEO, what you need to make sure is that you, A, ask really good questions, that you listen really effectively to the answers, and that you also make sure that you surround yourself with people who have very complementary skills. And both of my co-founders for, for both of my startups, both New Wave and Elucent Medical, I have a medical founder, Dr. Fredley, and a technical founder, Dan Vanderweide. It's all about teams with you, isn't it? It is all about teams with me. <laughs> so, so at one point in the early 90s, uh, GE Motors was facing some tough decisions and Jack Welch was the CEO at the time, uh, and this was during his Neutron Jack period where he was famous for cutting workforces relentlessly and had a pretty fierce reputation. And yet you took a risk and talked to him over dinner about problems at GE Motors. Tell us about that. Yeah. This is probably falls into the category, Tim, of make active choices. If you don't make active choices, choices will be made for you. And I ended up at a leadership meeting where the seating was random. You got a number when you walked in the door. I ended up sitting next to Jack Walsh at dinner. And this is, as you said, a time where you could be, you'll either be fired or promoted after dinner probably. So if you're going to speak up, you know, make sure it's good. And as a leadership team for Motors, we were facing laying off an additional 200 people or moving the entire group to what we considered a preferred provider plan in the healthcare system. And in the 90s, there weren't any of those. Um, but for us, it came down to really needing those individuals still to run our business. And corporate had turned us down, saying you must stay with the traditional you know, healthcare plan as it exists today. So I brought it up at dinner. As you might imagine, it was um, relatively controversial. <laughs> Um, but on the flip side, what happened is actually I talked about the merits and we convinced corporate to let us go this route, which enabled us to keep 200 people in the business that we absolutely needed. And I think it's in that level of risk taking that sometimes your, your best and your most passionate you know, avenues are forged. So what did Jack say when you brought it up? What was his reaction? Well, his reaction was like, he asked, like a good leader does, he said, he asked one of the HR guys sitting at the table, so what do you think, right? And so a real discussion ensued about the pluses and minuses. And uh, from there, he did put me on the slate to run the mammography business. And uh, that, for me, led to a, a dual career move to France. I will tell you, I, uh, my husband and I moved dual career to France. We didn't speak French. We'd never been in the medical business, and I was six months pregnant with our first child. So when I do write that book, it's going to say this was probably too much change. Um, it's the closest I've probably come to failing. And at the same time, it was uh, exhilarating. It was higher risk. I clearly have, at least by corporate standards, some higher risk tolerance, which is probably why I'm an entrepreneurial CEO now. And at the time, one of the things that I was most passionate about, and I think this is where I learned that I was very passionate about clinical innovation, is that I advocated kind of relentlessly for 
going digital in mammography. And that might sound like kind of a simple item now because we are all digital, but the tissue density differences in mammography between cancerous and non-cancerous tissues are very small. So digital in breast and in mammography makes a huge difference, whereas you can see a broken bone either way. And so I actually went back and ended up the chairman actually funded me $3 million to start digital mammography. And so I would just tell people as you think through your life, there's no real downside to being passionate about what you love and speaking up because you're going to land on your feet. You're going to do fine. Um, and you can actually really accomplish something pretty remarkable by going a little further out on your limb. So you were always a risk taker within GE. And, and it paid off. You, you got to a very high level at GE. And, and then you sat back and started questioning that. And what's amazing to me, you know, being in that corporate setting, you, you thought about leaving it. I, I often wonder, you know, Scott Button at Venture Investors in Madison hired you to perform due diligence on New Wave. I wonder what he was thinking you know, whether he thought he might be hooking you in and, and what made you decide to, to give up that high-level job and, and just for a startup that had no revenue? Yeah, it didn't even actually have a product at the time, Kathleen. <laughs> it was kind of in the basement of my technical founder's house, to be honest. But I think that I, from my mammography job, I'd learned that I love clinical innovation. And while, listen, I love so much of what I learned at GE, there's, there's no comparison but I was very far away from real, what I would consider revolutionary innovation versus incremental innovation. And it's very hard for big companies. They have lots of people. They have lots of process, all good process that I learned. But they can't move as quickly as a startup. Uh, they can't take the level of risk that a venture capital would take. And so I kind of, my husband and I talked about it. And we said, listen, this will be probably our best or our worst financial decision, one of the two. <laughs> There's probably not a lot of middle ground. And uh, for me, it offered an opportunity to really reinvent myself, you know, partway through my career into a much more entrepreneurial style and fast-paced. And I love working with physicians and really having the opportunity to bring something that's going to make a difference for patients to market. Tell us about New Wave's technology and how you grew the company from the basement to where it is today. Yeah. So at New Wave, we actually uh, use microwave energy to ablate cancer tumors in liver, kidney, lung, and bone. And it did start in the basement. Uh, the Series A was led, as Kathleen mentioned, by Scott Button at Venture Investors. Can you tell us what ablate means? Sure. Um, ablate is to, to kill or to necrose. So while there are cells that are resistant to, to drugs and all sorts of therapies, if you take a cell above 60 degrees Celsius, it will die. So by raising the temperature of the cell, being the cancer cell, you can actually kill or necrose that tissue. And so we went from funding to first patient, including our FDA clearances in uh, three years, which I'm sure if you're in the e-commerce space, sounds like a really long time. But in the world of medical devices, that's actually very fast because of the level of you know, regulatory biocompatibility and all the testing that's required to do that. And how many jobs did you create? So uh, we actually ended up uh, creating at least 100 jobs inside the company. But actually, our supply base was very local here in Wisconsin. We kind of had a philosophy to have our, all of our suppliers within a two-hour radius. And that leads, again, to a lot of collaboration. If there's any questions about specifications or quality, you can actually fairly easily get together and make sure that on a face-to-face -face level, what I said and what you heard were the same thing. 
And uh, so we, uh, we grew it until 2016 when it was purchased by uh, Johnson & Johnson. So many medical device inventions, companies, product ideas fail for lack of acceptance. How, how did you deal with that? Yeah, so that's a really important point, Tim, because so many times people do have a great technical solution and they don't think about how it gets adopted. And you have to think about not only the specialty you're getting adopted by, but how much change it is for them. And that's why we've always had a, um, a medical founder who's actually very deep. So Dr. Fredley was a leader in ablative therapies at the time. So he could really help guide us in how we designed that product. Your team stayed together um, after the sale, and you launched a new startup that you're involved with now called Elucent. Can you tell us about what kind of opportunity you have there and what you guys are doing? Sure. So I had the same two co-founders, uh, Dr. Fredley, who's an abdominal radiologist, and Dan Vanderweide, who's a professor of computer and electrical engineering at UW-Madison. And we are a little different than most startup teams. We believe in always starting with a clinical need and then believing we can bring the right engineers to the table to solve the problem. So the clinical need at Elucent, we were trying to enable the surgeon to get back to the location of a malignant tissue biopsy. And that was largely for organs that have no anatomical landmarks. So breast, lung, lymph nodes have almost no way, excuse me. And what we did is we created a really a GPS way to guide them in surgical navigation back to the location of that surgical biopsy. And how's that doing? So uh, thankfully, we also went uh, funding to first patient in three years again. So we did our first patient in May of this year, and we are now at eight sites around the U.S., including with Dr. Dana Henkel uh, at St. Mary's in Madison and our founder, Dr. Lee Wilkie, at University of Wisconsin-Madison. So let's talk a little bit about all these teams and people you've selected. You, you told us earlier you have a list of verbs you want to hear in job interview and a list of verbs you don't want to hear, assuming that no one who's interviewing with you tomorrow is listening to this. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. One of the things I really appreciated most about my GE time outside of learning <clears throat> really good process, having great mentors, is the amount of training I got, Tim. And I actually had 80 hours, if you believe it or not, of interviewing training. And I actually got an opportunity to look at the statistics about what makes people succeed in their roles. And the only actual predictor of future performance is past performance. And it doesn't have to be in the same thing, but you need to be able to bring demonstrated evidence to an interview of something you did in the past that's going to be applicable to your new role. So it's not going to be the exact skills, but it's going to be things like problem solving. It's going to be resiliency. And when you ask someone, for example, even something like if you had a project you'd go back, go back and do over again, what would you do differently? You know, if they can't give you an answer, they either A, don't have self-awareness, right, which is an important skill to bring to any role, or they haven't really pushed themselves, right? And in a startup, you've got to push. You've got to go out on the edge. And understanding how they talk about that is important. So as you might imagine, we're looking for words like invent, design, sell, words like oversee, approve, and review. We just don't have any jobs like that. So we are looking for people who have very active verbs in their interviews and can really demonstrate at a detailed level what they've done in the past that would enable them to be successful in our roles. 
Laura, you did synchronized swimming and played varsity softball, both team sports. You call yourself a team guy. What is it about teams and building teams that you're so attracted to and it seems like is part of your um, recipe for success? That's a, that's a good question because it asks, you know, how am I motivated? And I think everyone's motivated differently. And what motivates me is seeing someone who I've played some small role in mentoring do really well. Um, it often reminds me of Margaret Mead's quote that says, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And the same thing's true in business. If you really want to make a revolutionary product, it takes a team and a group. It's not one individual to really bring something forward. And that's why you look for a diversity of skills and backgrounds and expertises, because only with that can you create something more meaningful. Well, don't you love that moment when um, someone else does something and you, you think, how did that get done that well, right? Yeah, I, I have a little bit of a motto that says, if you fail to expect anything but the best, you tend to get it. And I think people are capable of so much more than sometimes we give them credit for if you just enable them to, you know, uh, largely get out of their way and do their very best work. Well, Laura, thank you for being here today. It's been great. Thank you so much. You can read more about this story and find links to resources by visiting wuwm.com. And listen to all our podcasts at WUWM at the iTunes Store or wherever you get your podcasts.